0: Amen. You may be seated. If you're a kid, kindergarten through fifth grade, and you want to go hunt Easter eggs and enjoy some special environment created just for you, Mr. Darrell is leading the surge, if you will, to a new direction. They are hunting Easter eggs inside the building because we know what it looks like if you go out to the field right now because we were like, you know, Flooded out with water, so we aren't going to ruin Easter dresses. We won't ruin your phone, your your lunch pictures, and all of that. Um, Man, hey, it's good to see everybody here this Sunday morning. And if you're a guest today, we're so glad you're with us. We don't uh, pass an offering plate at the end of our church service. Um, We don't ask you to give anything either, except one thing. We would love to have some info to connect with your family, to connect you with our faith family. And in the chair in front of you or near you is an info card. If you would take the time to fill that out today and put that in these giving stations by the back doors, we would love to have that. We'd love to be able to connect with you if you're looking for a church family. I also know there's family that are just here because this is like a family day, right? Like this is where families come together and these are special moments. And so if you don't live in the area, don't, don't feel pressure. But if you live in the area and you want to connect, we would love to connect with you. Uh, so we're going to be in John chapter 10 today. John chapter 10. If you have your Bible, turn to the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as you get to that part of your Bible. And in John chapter 10, um, I didn't grow up in church. So when I started going to church, this passage was really uniquely kind of cool to me. I don't know why, it just always stood out to me. But also, if, if uh, you've been in church, this is a very familiar text. But I think there's going to be some things that you're going to see along the way that'll make you think and wonder. Um, in this section of John, because we've been going through the Gospel of John as a church, um, we find Jesus... Either really inspiring people because he's healing people and he's doing amazing things, or he's like majorly offending people. Uh, and, and the way Peter, who is the great OG of Jesus, with Jesus, rolling with him, uh, Simon Peter would write about this later and he would say that Jesus, to, to some, and he, he is a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And then to others, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And that's, that's what's interesting about Jesus. I mean, everything about Jesus is a big deal, right? I mean, his birth splits time. Even if you say, hey, we're not doing AD and BC anymore, we're doing BCE and all that. But what does that mean? Before the common era. What is the common era? Jesus, all right? Let's just say it like it is, all right? How many of us, when you, how many of you have ever hit your hand with a hammer? Have a show of hands, confession of the church? Men are in the church, like, yeah, I have. How many of you have ever seen someone take their hand and hit it with a hammer and be like, Buddha? No, you don't you don't see that, do you? Why? But but how many of you have heard people say the Lord's name? How I many in movies you'll see people be like, Jesus Christ, man? And you're supposed to, if you're like me, you're supposed to be sarcastic and be like, Is Lord, right? Sneak it in, right? So as we read this in John 10, we're going to see this is what's happening. To some people, he is a cornerstone. They can build their life on him. And to other people, he is like this thing that they're tripping over, the thing that they wish they could get rid of. Or how about this one? The thing that they wish they could just go ahead and kill. Right? And so as we understand that, let's read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, and he, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and, call his, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out, and when he's brought them all out, of, all, out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they, they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Now, how do they relate to all of this? Verse 319, there was again a division among the Jews. (laughs) So yeah, here we see some things that are happening here. Uh, We kind of can get some of this, and some of this just kind of doesn't come to us right away. And as we talk about it, it probably will come to us. And then we have to decide today, in light of the spiritual truth we are understanding, what are we going to do with it? Because as we come into the idea of knowledge of something, then we are held accountable. You can't say, well, I didn't know. And so as we get into this text, um, we can understand things like the voice. I mean, at the daddy-daughter dance we had last night, it was pretty cool. I found out some of these men in this, this church can really get down and boogie, all right? And we had a daddy-daughter dance, and one of the games we played, we blindfolded the dads all, and we had our hands out, and we had our cards with a name on it, and the girls had to go through shaking our hands, and by just a mere shaking of hands, we were supposed to give our card to who we thought was our daughter. Now, I had four daughters, so I had four chances to do this pretty good, and so I did get two of my four, all right? Uh, and I got on to my oldest daughter, who I didn't get, because I was like, your bracelets, I told you to extend your full hand so I could touch your bracelets, and I would know And I just thought, man, it felt like an adult was scamming me because I felt adult hands too, but then I realized Mo was playing the game because her dad was there. So the whole thing was just weird for me. But I was talking to Josh Hubbard, and he was like, yeah. Uh, I was like, did you get your daughter? And he was like, yeah. But she also said, daddy, and gave me a hug. (laughs) Anybody ever been to the grocery store? And you just go, mom. And like even moms, maybe it isn't their kid, But wonder what mother would leave their kid, turns to look at the shameful moment. But you know when it's your kid, don't you? You know, and you turn your head and you go, Oh my gosh, I know that voice anywhere. We can relate to some of this. Jesus says, My sheep, they know my voice, and I know them. I don't know about you, but like sheep are kind of weird too. Like, have you ever, like, just they all look the same, right? And so, for a shepherd to walk in and go, oh, yeah, that one's mine, and yeah, that one's mine, and hey, what are you doing over there? That one's mine. That's, that's not really a relatable thing for me. I mean, if they look the same, I like, go, thank God we did not have identical twins. I have friends that have identical twins, and I fear for them because I would probably never learn which kid is which kid. As a man, I'm just not present sometimes. And so as we understand this text, I want to break it down because there's parts of it we get, there's parts of it we don't get, all right? And so there's three parts in my head the way I look at this text. You have verses 1 through 6, all right? Uh, We have verses 7 through 10, and we have verses 11 through 18. And as we think about this in verses 1 through 6, we see that uh, Jesus is putting the Pharisees to test again on what he calls them onto, and they don't get it. Because verse 6 says the figure of speech, um, the, the, the thing they didn't get. That as he's telling them this story, this parable, if you will, they don't get it. It's very general. It has the sheepfold, the sheep, a door, a shepherd, a gatekeeper, and a stranger. And Jesus doesn't identify which one he is. He just shares it. And it's funny because we can relate back to this in a moment, which we will by looking in the greater context of this passage. Verses 7 through 10, he says, I'm the door, and he unpacks it. And then in verses 11 through 18, I'm the good shepherd. Let me make this relatable in my words. I would say in verses 1 through 6, Jesus is gathering a flock. He is talking to his people of same ethnicity at this moment. And that's important because there's this verse where he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. And if you're not Jewish today, because I'm not Jewish, you should just raise your hand and go, thank you, Jesus! because he's talking about you, all right? But here he's speaking to his brothers who are of the same ethnicity, and he's talking to them, and he says, I'm gathering a flock, even from you guys, I am gathering it. And I think so often we think, oh yeah, Jesus is beating on these religious dudes because Jesus is like awesome. But you gotta understand, Jesus is wanting some of them to wake up. Jesus has come to save all of those who would trust him. He's not looking for people that look like him, talk like him, and act like him. Only because he has sheep that are not of this fold. But he definitely is going after them. Number two, we see he's explaining his why. And it's to have an abundant life. It's it's wanting them to experience the fullness of what God designed for them to experience. And then in the third section, I think he's explaining how. Well, because he's a good shepherd. Now, I want you to notice, though, there are other shepherds in life, are there not? There are other things that lead us. And Jesus is even acknowledging it because he's saying, I am the good shepherd. And so that's a summary of what's going on. But how do we dig a little deeper? And I think first of all, we should take a quiz. Who is the thief? You know, we look at John 10 and we see that verse and we say, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And the church said, amen. Right? And there's that moment and we all get churched up in here and we go, but who is the thief? How many of you by a show of hands go, you know, that's straight up the devil. He's got to be. Huh? anybody who, Who's been taught that? I've been taught that. The devil. But the devil's not anywhere in the context of this passage. And I think that there are other thieves that are clearly identified. I I don't think it's incorrect, per se, to say that Satan is a thief and he still kills and destroys because uh, that is what he does. But we can find that from other passages better than this one. Here's what's going on in this context. These dudes who hear directly what Jesus is saying about himself, these religious folk who won't turn, he's calling them thieves. And we're going to actually talk about that, but how we do that is probably by looking at the related story here, that the, Jesus heals this blind man. If you had your Bible in John 10, you can look just briefly over in John nine, you would find this account where a man is born blind, and he's healed on the Sabbath. Jesus is breaking their rules, their man-made rules, but he's saying, "I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, I'm going to do what I do." I am who I am. Remember, we talked about I am statements or Jesus basically saying, I be who I be, right? You can get that. He is the Lord. He's the maker of the Sabbath. Think he can do what he wants on the Sabbath. But number two, the Pharisees mock him in that account. They look at this, they see this man born blind, and they don't celebrate and they don't praise God. They mock him and they try to get this guy to literally speak ill of Jesus. And they're like, say, hey, you know, come on, man. Give glory to God and admit this man's a sinner. Give glory to the real God. And this man's like, listen, I don't know whether he was born a sinner or not, but the dude touched my eyes with mud and I see. That's what I do know. And then not only that, the story flows so much better if you read John 9, 41. Read this with me. He says, and Jesus said to them, "If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, we say we, we say we see. Your guilt remains." And then verse one: "Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, see how that blends so well. It bridges. The Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. It was written on a scroll. Later on, for our benefit, so we could find our place in the scriptures." We decided to put chapters and verses in. But Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you guys. So there's some things that we need to understand in the context. What is the thief? How would we define the thief in our context? I would say it this way. Anyone or anything that bypasses God's design for our joy through knowing Christ. And I know a lot of people that are getting ripped off right now. I know a lot of people that are getting ripped off. And you go, well, man, Like I don't really want to get into the spiritual things of Jesus. I don't really want to take this stuff serious in my life. I just, I'm, I just want to live my moment. I need my time to be me. And we're going to talk about that. But this is an idea that is, Jesus says is a thief. It's anyone or anything that bypasses God's design for our joy through knowing Christ. And we begin to understand that then we can break down Jesus explaining his why because he says the phrase, Jesus is the door. That's another way of saying it is he's the only way into the life that God has for you. And so often we want to better ourselves. We want good things for our life. We even speak in similar language of Jesus. We'll say things like this. Well, you know, man, I was pursuing this, but the door closed. Or, you know what? A door has opened for me And so I'm going to move to the UK. Boo for Justin Collier. We talk about doors all the time, don't we? Jesus is saying, I am the door. And I can just, I want you to know that because we don't necessarily always want to accept this. This this can become a contention for all of us when we start realizing, man, like, Yes, I believe the Bible. Yes, I believe things that God says about it's true. And I'm struggling to figure all these things out. And Jesus says dogmatic phrases like he is the door. He's literally saying what he's going to say again later in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one's coming to the Father except through me. I am the check valve. I think there are many things in this world that claim to have what we're looking for. But only Jesus offers true lasting salvation. Thank you. I didn't have to push the button. I have a button. But someone said amen. There are many things, man. There, 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 we, we have a world filled out there with things that promote itself to be true. Um. I love leadership stuff. I love being a part of little Facebook group challenges and so now the algorithm throws things all the times to me and like you know Tony Robbins and all these things that get out there and I don't don't mind looking at some of that stuff but I have to begin to realize there are these things that that are trying to promote good things in my life but Jesus is the door. He is it. And so there are false gospels that Jesus is pointing out. There are things that thief. Uh, Another way... The Apostle Paul would write about this later, and I it's a really easy read, so don't have to turn there. Let me read it to you. Paul says this. He says there's no other gospel, other, no other good news than Jesus. The word gospel just means good news. He says, I'm astonished that you are quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What is he saying? Guys, this is it. He has come. There is no other new revelation needed. He is God's revelation to mankind, He is the door. He is a good shepherd. So what would be false gospels or things that are thieves in our day? Teachings or ways? And I would say one of those is self-sufficiency. The I, uh, Neil T. Anderson is a writer. He talks about self-sufficiency is the dam that is blocking the rivers of revival in the church today. So many people have bought into this idea... Jesus, I just need you for the tough stuff, but leave me alone over here and let me do my thing. You, don't need, you, don't, you need Jesus every moment, brother. And Jesus even says, apart from me, you can't do anything. So the self-sufficiency thing comes in and, and it's just like, you know, you just need to get your life together. You need to grow up. You need a man up. You need to girl up or whatever it is. But the reality is that's not the gospel. The gospel is that none of us can ever do that. That's why Jesus actually came. Another one would be self-expression. I just need to be able to express who I am, and then I'll be free. But that's not true either. There are many of us in this room that could testify, we have done it our way. I was hanging out with a student uh, at our house the other day, and I quoted uh, probably like one of the Friday movies or something, and she was like, how do you know that line? And I was like, because I haven't always been a preacher, right? And <laughs> you know, I always, to quote another friend, he would say, listen, if you don't think sin's fun, you haven't tried the good ones. But sin thrills us and then it kills us. It like, it fascinates our minds and then it assassinates. It, it is a snare, it is a pit, the way the scriptures talk about it. Another one would be relational salvation. Well, because I know my grandparents, they believed in the Lord and they, you know, I've known God all my life. And that's a red flag for me because everybody needs their own experience of, of really realizing God's love for them. You can't, uh, as Louis Palau says, there are no grandchildren in God's family, just children of God. So you can't have a borrowed faith. You can't look to it. Jesus is the door. There's no other way in. Any other way in is a thief, it's going to rip you off. And I don't know about you, I hate getting ripped off. My wife went to Taco Bell last, two nights ago. It was Friday night. It was crazy. Only because I asked her to. And we had teenagers over and I was like, would you please go to Taco Bell? And, and so she went to Taco Bell because I didn't really want to eat hot dogs. Although Parker did a great job cooking hot dogs. Um, but so she comes back but I didn't get my two beefy nacho value menu burritos. And even, I mean, I, thought, I, just like, I remember thinking about it, I'm like, why did, oh, I didn't get my beefy nacho burritos. To which some of you are going, yeah, and you didn't need them either, right? But none of us love to be ripped off. And I'm telling you, if you're counting on these things, you're being taken. Economical. It's the idea of, well, you know, we'll just make more money, we make more money, we can buy more things and, and, you know, we'll be able to put ourselves in a better place and have a better view on life. These are false gospels. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? And lastly, political. This one is the one that is weird to me. Christians think like righteousness is us ruling and reigning through political partisanship. And it's just, you know, dominating. And when we have our candidates in the play, then God is on the move. But if our candidate doesn't get it, then God is not on the move. Yet we read passages in Daniel where God says, I install every leader of all time. No one wins or no one gets in that I didn't approve. And we only claim that usually when it's our person. So can I just say this? The abundant life is in none of those areas. You're going, well, where's the... What about... Okay, what about just, you know, friends? What about uh, my spouse or my children? I remember one thing that my pastor told me a long time ago. It made sense. He took two hands. And he said, a lot of people build their life even just on good things like, say, kids. They build their life and their marriage and everything on top of the kids. And that sounds noble. But one day, the kids grow up and they leave the house. What's your marriage on? Nothing. This is why I'm telling you, don't let yourself be taken. Jesus isn't helping these people understand. He's wanting them to see he is the door. Here's a couple questions before we move on. Do you trust in Jesus for protection and provision? And is there a false salvation that you're trusting in? Jesus cared enough to slow down and explain this to these guys that continue to mock him. I don't know about you, but all of us, we would have rode out. I'd have been like, Joel, let's leave. Come on, let's go. Everybody, get out of here. These dudes are losers, right? I'd probably start making fun of their moms or whatever on the way. Like my attitude. Like if you get me mad, I mean, I'm leaving. We're not going to talk about it. We're out of here. Let's go. Come on, everybody, get up and leave. And Jesus stops and says, "You know what? Let's have this conversation." I am pulling people into this sheepfold. And I am the good shepherd. I am the door. So abundant life apparently then is not having stuff. Abundant life is having peace and joy with God and a relationship with him. Number two, let's talk about the last part of this. Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Here he's now claiming to be one with God, leading lost sheep to the Father. He is a shepherd of Israel is what he's claiming to be. Yet, so many people can't get down with it. They can't get down with it. And us church folk, we've heard sermons about this stuff. And how many of you have heard people say like, you know, he chose sheep because sheep are dumb. And then they talk for like five or ten minutes in the sermon about how dumb sheep are. I'm not going to do that because frankly, I don't really want to tell you that you're dumb. And not only that, I would also add this. That it's not the stupidity of the sheep That's in view here, it's the love of the shepherd. Let me just say that again. It is not the stupidity of the sheep that are in view, it's the love of the shepherd. Yes, sheep don't have triggers of defense. You know, wolves over there, they would go, oh, that's a wolf, you know, and they wouldn't go and defend themselves. And so they are defenseless in some ways. I think what Jesus is really trying to point out is the care that he has for us. I think this is awesome because for me, it's hard for us to believe the way he feels about us. It's hard for us to believe he feels the way he feels about us. And obedience, we talk about walking with God. How many believers have have parked their faith as if you could do that? Park your faith for a moment because it's hard. And let me just say this, obedience is hard because we can have fearful and forgetful hearts of trust. Man, like, I was walking, and then I needed to park it here because, man, I just didn't know where it was going to lead me. You know, like I didn't know if God was going to be big enough to see me through this. And some people have a faith, but they don't have a walk, as Justin would say. They they haven't really wanted to walk out things in obedience with the Lord because they're forgetful. I, even myself. I will have some big crescendoing God moment. Like Friday night, we had this tag night thing at the park, and it was a lot of fun. made a lot of connections with people and students. We had like 50-something students show up. It was a lot of fun. A lot of cool... Incarnational ministry. If you don't know what that is, go watch my last Wednesday night talk on the podcast and you can learn more about it. And so that was a shame plug right there. And as, I, as I was at the park, I was there, and I was just like, man, this is exactly what Jesus would be doing on a Friday night if he wasn't on a cross. This is exactly what he would be doing. And then on Saturday morning, I am down in the dumps. The, it's almost to me, the bigger the mountain, the deeper the valley is. And you go, man, what's wrong with you, Lee? You're probably, you probably need to see a counselor. Yeah, you're right. And me and everyone else in the Old Testament. Because they see things like the Red Sea parting. And then the next moment they're like, why did you bring us here? God's going to never take care of us. He just parted the Red Sea. Does anyone? I'm like, you know, but I relate. Because obedience is hard. And it's almost like you need a shepherd. Oh, yeah, we have one. Jesus. And Jesus is saying, He even goes into discussion on John 10. He says, like, there are these hired hands, and here's how you know when they're the hired hand, and they don't own the sheep. Let something bad come and they take off running. They're little hirelings. But Jesus says, I'm not a hireling, I'm a good shepherd. I know what I have possession of. I know what I need to keep. I know what I need to take care of. And no one can take you from my Father's hand, and no one can take you from my hand. This is what he's saying. And so Jesus says, I laid down my life. Why do they say that Jesus is insane in the text? Think about it. I mean, just for one minute, many of you could, many of us men could stand up and say noble phrases like, You know, I would lay down my life for my wife, or for my kids, or for my country. But you know what none of us men will ever say? And then I can take it up again. Jesus isn't just saying he's going to like die some noble death because like that would be awesome, but he's saying more than that. He's like, I will lay down my life and I'll take it up. And they're going, this guy's insane, he's got a demon, he's not understandable, relatable. People need to leave him alone. Yet people can't get enough of it. So when he says he'll lay down his life for the sheep, why? Because it was necessary. And as we revisit the cross, Paul would say it this way, he says like, listen, if righteousness could be gained by your good effort, then Jesus came for nothing. But he's pointing it out that, that, that this was not possible. But if we who now trust in Christ and what Christ has done for us through the work of the cross, the empty tomb and everything involved, God now sees you as blameless, spotless, and clothed in righteousness. Clothed in his righteousness. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't even know if I understand all that. Because I still live in this body, this broken body, this wretched man that Lee is. If you think I'm somebody who is, you know, Jesus Jr., then you have not understood me. I am telling you, I know Jesus. He is my Savior and my Lord. He is my shepherd. He is my door. And I have responded to him, and he has saved me from the power of sin, but not the presence of sin yet. But one day I will be saved from all of it. And I don't know about you, but when we read texts like this, we have to ask ourselves, how do we respond? I'll come back to that scripture in just a moment. How do we respond? And I think there are three common ways as we close today that people respond based on what I've seen as a pastor. The first one, and it's not on the screen because it's, you know, it's not much to talk about, but it is something to talk about. It's the no way, not me. No way, not me. You know They somehow feel like they've out God's love. Like, Lee, there's just no way what you're saying is going to happen in my life because you don't know the things I've done. And I would tell you, you must not have read much of the Scripture yet to understand the context of what God does with men and women who feel very far from Him. Because it's filled with examples and tons and tons, and tons of examples. And one of those in the Old Testament would be this verse. You don't have to write it down, but it's on the screen for you. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. When we say, no way, not me, really what we're saying is, God is not really God enough. And Douglas Moo, a commentator, says the great sin of our day is de-godding God. De-godding God. I mean, Paul is a gangster, a murderer, a thug who is killing people who want to learn about Christ. And on Acts 9, he's on this road to Damascus. He done took the wrong turn. He got turned into God's Holy Spirit alleyway and got knocked off his horse and came to know the Lord, went into town blind. Jesus sends someone to not make him blind anymore, and have a conversation. He has to go for a time in the desert and sort out everything he has now learned because he got stuck in that Holy Spirit alleyway. Isaiah, the one we just quoted here, in chapter 6, he tells his little conversion story. He's in the church, and he's like, dude, then God shows up, and it's like, boom! And he's like, wretched man that I am. Man, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Everything he knows is like, whoa, 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 whoa. So there's the no way, not me people. And then number two, I'd say there's the, well, of course. Yeah, I mean, of course he loves me. These are the ones that can be a little paternity. It's okay. We all find ourselves in one of these categories. It, you, and the reason it's a course is because you compare yourself to other people as though this is what God does. But the problem with comparison is that I take the best of me and the worst of you, and we put them together. And now all of a sudden, yeah, of course, he. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not, you know, so-and-so. Never done that. I've never, I've never done what, you know, Uncle so-and-so did. Of course he loves me. Of course he wants me. Romans chapter 10 says this verse, says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is what happens with the, well, of course, people. Of course, I'm a pretty good person. You're right. You were good enough to put Jesus on the cross. Congratulations. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. The, the part of this would also be theologizing, where we file facts in our brain to appear more godly later in front of others. We put it in our mind, but not in our heart. We go, oh, yeah, that's really good. John 10. Yeah, I'll need a couple nuggets. That way when people want to talk to me or if I find myself in a spiritual conversation, what I'll do is I'll be like, yeah, you know, like in John 10, when he says he has sheep that are not of this fold, right? You know, what like water cooler talk. And a guy's like, yeah, yeah, you must be a church partner. Yeah, I really am. I'm doing good. Of course he loves me. But that's, that's, that's a thief. It's robbing us of something real. And lastly, there's the worship and spirit-filled obedience response It would look like this out of the Scriptures where Colossians 3 says this, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, um, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's actually verse <laughs> Romans 10, 3 again in my copy-paste. Let me read you the real Colossians. How about that? And I'll pull that off the screen. How about that? Would you just look at it? Listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That sounds much better. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in deed or word, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Why? Because you've been called out to be his. I, uh, my mom has the beginnings of Alzheimer's. And it's interesting when I hang out with, because we do chapel at Brookfield Assisted Living, I spend time with people at least twice a month who have either lost their mind or close. And it's interesting to me is how scripture connects to believers. And how you can have this conversation where they're holding a baby doll and someone like my little girl who is totally tripped up by that because she's like, she's got a baby doll, dad. And I'm like, well, that's not a baby doll. That's her kid. But it's not real. But she acts like it's real, daddy. Now, I know, I know. It's okay. You can take a lady that's in that position. But yet you can start reading scripture and they start saying the scripture with you. I can't explain how that works. But I can explain that there's a connection for those of us that get this. There's a connection to God that can never really be broken, even through dementia, even through Alzheimer's, even through moments of complete out-of-mindness. A mindness comes to them when you get them to engage God. Let me read you a text. I want you to think about when I've read this text so often and I've watched a person start saying it with me and it's the only normal part of conversation I'll have with them. You know what a text it would be? It would be this one right here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know if you've ever talked to someone who literally is out of their mind, and then you read a scripture, and they say it with you. I don't know how to explain that other than this right here. Jesus said it best. My sheep hear my voice. Can I ask you a question? Do you hear his voice? You're like, well, yeah, but I mean, I've done a lot of things right now. I'm not really walking with it. That's not what I'm asking. Do you hear his voice? Because if you do, when was the last time you really just renewed and refreshed yourself in that he's your shepherd? When was the last time you just confided in him as your shepherd? He knows everything about you. He knows everything you've done, thought, everything. And he still loves you and me. I can't explain that because there's no one else in this room that I can be that vulnerable with except him. When was the last time you just confided in him and thanked him for that? When was the last time you praised him for the truth that he's your shepherd? But some of us today would say, man, like... I've gone to church, you know, and I, I, like, I love God and I love Jesus, but I don't hear that voice. My question to you today would be, has there been a moment in your life where you stopped, slowed down, realized all of what really is going on around you with the spiritual stuff we were talking about, and actually profess Him to be your Savior and Lord? Say, Lord, I'm asking you to come into my life. Change me to make me new like you say you can. Have you ever done that? Well, I haven't. What do I do? Dude, in prayer, you need to define that need. You need to call out on Him in prayer and and in your own words. Make that profession of faith. There are three people next week that are going to be standing in baptismal waters. And and they're adults. And there are people that knew That they needed Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. Have you ever made that kind of profession? I would tell you today, there is no better day than Easter of 2022 than to define that relationship. You feel like you've wandered? Join the club. All of us Our heart is prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. But if you know he's the God you love, you just haven't loved lately, there's no better time to put that parked faith into reality than Easter of 2022. Let's pray together. As Wednesday comes and every week we want to have a time to respond to what God is doing. Right there where you sit, I just want to pray for you. And let you know that this is a place where you can respond in freedom. And so, Father, I pray if there's someone here today, they know they need you. They know they don't hear your voice. They, the, the things that, that are spiritual are interesting to them, but they haven't become meaningful yet. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that is looking to step into trusting you, to step into the deep waters of freedom and joy of everything that comes in relationship of knowing you, if that's where they are today, I pray you give them a boldness and a strength to do that. God, I pray for those who have a faith. Maybe it's a wayward faith, it's a parked faith. Maybe it's a, it's a, a beaten down moment that they're going through in life. Maybe it's a temptation, a trial they find themselves in. God, I pray that that you would overwhelm us with the truth today that you are a great shepherd to us. You're the good shepherd. And that you are leading us and that you do love us. And so, Father, if there's anything we need to correct in our hearts, would you bring it to us? God, if there's some things that we need to cast off onto you because we're tired of carrying it, because we never were meant to carry it, Did God make it clear to us? God, if you're calling us into something big and bold and we're going to have to trust you, God, would you just let us pause and praise you for being our shepherd? God, I thank you that you're on the move. You're building your church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And you're coming again, you said one day. But you said you're calling every tribe and every tongue. You're redeeming a whole people, a whole earth to you. God, forgive us for being small-minded, selfish people. God, call us out. We want to walk with you. We want to run with you in the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.